welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. That which you worship, then, even though you do not know it, is what I now proclaim to you, a God who made the world and everything in it. Acts chapter 17, verses 23 and 24, Good News Translation. Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. That's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S-E-A-B-O-O-K-S dot com. We're very grateful that you're joining us on Anchored by Truth as we continue the series which we are calling Eternal Information. Like several of the other series that we have done on Anchored by Truth, this Eternal Information series pertains to a subject that has special importance in our day and time, demonstrating that the Christian faith has a firm basis in reason, and evidence. Today in the studio, we have R.D. Fierro, who is an author and the founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., we spend a lot of time on Anchored by Truth discussing topics that don't seem to be as relevant to the Christian faith as, say, family relationships, struggles with addiction, or even the wise use of money. Why do you feel led to go into what some may regard as side issues that don't affect people's daily lives? Well, that's a very good question. Now, before I answer it, I would also like to thank everyone for joining us here today on Anchored by Truth. We really are grateful that you'll spend some time with us thinking about the Bible, thinking about how the Bible is still important to us today. A lot of people don't realize that the Bible is a book that is absolutely timeless. It's as relevant today as it was when Moses penned the first book of the Bible, which is going back almost 3,500 years. And really, that's one of the reasons we talk about these issues on Anchored by Truth, like information, is because the Bible is still relevant today, but people need to understand that the Bible is the truth of God. You know, there's a lot of people today who will talk about the fact that the Christian faith has really helped them in their daily lives, and that's great. But we need to return to the reality that the Christian faith is not just about being an appealing feature of their lives or helpful with issues in their lives. Certainly those things are important, but the reason that we should embrace the Bible, accept the reality of the Bible, is because the Bible is true. The Christian faith is true. And we need to return to a recognition of the fact that the Christian faith is true and that it is demonstrably true. We live in what a lot of people have termed a postmodern culture. The postmodern culture not only doesn't believe that the Christian faith is true, the postmodern culture denies the existence of truth altogether. Postmodernism tells us things like, quote, Well, that may be true for you, but that's not true for me. You might say that the primary slogan for our postmodern world is that there is no such thing as absolute truth. But as we've pointed out in our previous episodes, that statement, there's no such thing as absolute truth, is self-contradictory. The proponent of the statement wants us to accept his proclamation as if it were absolutely true. So, 
Anyone who bases their worldview on that proposition has a house built on intellectual quicksand. It's not only not stable, it's deadly. Exactly right. But that mantra that there is no such thing as absolute truth surrounds us today. And if we don't begin to reverse the widespread acceptance of that kind of silliness, there is little or nothing that we are going to be able to do to reverse the decline in our culture. The only way we can begin to reclaim virtue for our society is to reclaim the historic reliance that Western civilization placed on a Christian worldview and value set. We must start with the truth if we are going to repel the lies that we are being told. And the truth is that the Bible is demonstrably the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. That word, demonstrable, is important. In our day and time, it's not enough for Christians to just believe the Bible is the Word of God. That's necessary, but it's not sufficient to impact our culture. The question, how can we be sure God exists, is a reasonable question. And so is the question, how can you be sure the Bible is God's Word? And 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 commands us to be able to give reasonable answers to those questions. Yes, 1 Peter 3.15 is probably the most commonly cited Bible verse for why Christians need to obtain at least a basic understanding of what is usually termed apologetics. Apologetics is a broad umbrella term for the reason we thought this series about information is important. Apologetics can broadly be defined as a defense of our faith. Apologetics comes from a compound Greek word. Greek, like English, has compound words made up of two or more other words. In this case, the Greek words are apo, primarily used to mean from, and logos, primarily meaning, in its most generic sense, word. Logos is also commonly used in an expanded way to mean reason, the mental faculty of thinking, meditating, reasoning, and calculating. The Greek philosopher Heraclitus first used the term logos around 600 BC to designate the divine reason or plan which coordinates a changing universe. The Apostle John used that same word logos in John 1.1 when John said, quote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the word was God, unquote. Right. So on this episode of Anchored by Truth, I wanted to spend a little more time making sure that we connect the concept of information with this whole notion of, quote now, the defense of the Christian faith. I want to be able to firmly connect in the minds of our listeners the concept of information with how we use it as part of the defense of the Christian faith. So one issue I would like to deal with right away is the whole notion that apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith, is really not necessary. You know, we often say on Anchored by Truth, it is absolutely true that God is the only one who can change a human heart. And so some people will say, well, if that's true, then why should we humans actually try to defend the faith? After all, if God's the only one who can change a human heart, Why should we, small humans, actually try to present a defense for the Christian faith? You know, in effect, they say, well, if conversion is all up to God, well, all we should have to do is just kind of mention God to a few people, mention Jesus to a few people, and that should be enough. And some Christians would say that in some of the best-known verses about sharing the gospel, there is no mention of apologetics. 
Romans chapter 10 verses 14 and 15 say, quote, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Unquote. That's from the New International Version. Those verses clearly talk about us sending and preaching so others can hear and believe, but they don't say anything about defending the faith. True enough, but those verses can be easily misunderstood. Those verses are part of a larger discussion by the Apostle Paul about the difference between the Jews believing that they can be saved by the law as opposed to being saved by faith in Jesus. The larger point that Paul was making was that Paul's people, the Jews, they were zealous in wanting to know about God, but they had drifted into a mode of thought that said that zeal for the law was sufficient for God to accept them. And Paul was trying to clarify that no amount of zealousness for the law would be sufficient to make us acceptable to God. To be saved by the law, we would have to keep the law perfectly which no human being apart from Jesus has ever done or could do. Right. No human being can be saved by our own works because none of us keep the law perfectly. Now, Jesus did keep the law perfectly because Jesus was fully human, but he was also fully divine. Jesus did keep the law perfectly, and that qualified him to be a fit representative for those of us who can't. So the point that Paul was making when he talked about sending and preaching was that all believers have a responsibility to share our faith with other people. And in those verses from Romans, Paul was describing the need for us to preach, but he was not prescribing the content of our preaching. Now elsewhere, for instance, as in Acts chapter 17, Paul shows that he very clearly used logic and reason in his own preaching. In talking to the assembly on the Areopagus, Paul began his message with an appeal for the Athenians to think about, quote, the God who made the world and everything in it, close quote. In effect, Paul was using a form of what is often termed the cosmological argument. Wikipedia defines the cosmologic argument as, quote, an argument which claims that the existence of God can be inferred from facts concerning causation, explanation, change, motion, contingency, dependency, or finitude with respect to the universe or some totality of objects, unquote. So, in slightly different words, the cosmologic argument is an argument based on the existence of the cosmos. Yes. The cosmological argument is one form of what is sometimes termed classical apologetics. And I think that the cosmological argument is quite likely the most common form of apologetic that people run across. It's easy to understand, and it begins with a starting point that people have to agree with. I mean, we all exist. The universe exists. And careful observations about the universe, such as the laws of thermodynamics, tell us that the universe is not eternal. And basic reason will tell us that anything that is not eternal cannot account for its own existence. Anything that is self-existent, that is something that possesses the power of existence unto and all by itself, would have to be eternal because a self-existent entity cannot go out of existence. 
Since the universe cannot provide an explanation for its own existence then, it's reasonable to go looking for that explanation somewhere else. In other words, we can go looking for an explanation for the existence of the universe somewhere outside the physical cosmos. At any rate, the point that the Apostle Paul was making in Romans, and Paul was very clearly a skilled apologist, and he used apologetics in his own preaching, the point was not that Paul was dismissing the need for apologetics. Paul was simply stressing the need for all of us to be active in spreading the gospel. Paul wanted to bring salvation to as many people as possible. And so he knew that as many people as possible needed to be involved in that activity. And that's what he was encouraging the Romans to do. In Romans, Paul was talking about the necessity for evangelism, but not the content of evangelism. So in this series, and in many of the others that we've done on Anchored by Truth, we are discussing the content of the evangelistic message. And the point we are making is that good apologetics should be one component of an evangelistic message. Evangelism cannot be limited to apologetics. Apologetics is primarily aimed at the mind. But good evangelism also has to address the needs of the heart. In some ways, the heart's needs are more urgent for most people. So we must always be prepared to address those as well. People need to know that Jesus brings forgiveness of sins, because without that, people have no effective way of dealing with the guilt that we all feel. People need to know that Jesus loves them. The desire to be cherished and valued is basic to all human beings. And people need to know that God wants them to be included in His family. People need to know that they belong. All those and more are heart needs, and we certainly don't want to minimize their importance. But just as it is important to address the heart needs, we must also not forget about the head. Exactly. The church must address the whole person just as Jesus commanded in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, where he told his listeners that they must, quote, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, close quote. Now, Jesus wasn't trying to take an inventory of human anatomy and physiology there. What Jesus was telling his listeners was that they had to devote all of themselves to God. After all, God devoted all of himself to us when the second person of the Trinity took on a human body and then sacrificed himself for us. Yes, God gave his all to us and we must give our all to him. And it's important to note that in his admonition, Jesus included a reference to the mind as well as to the heart, soul, and strength. Well, in looking at apologetics, that's what we're doing. We're addressing the mind. And that's where I think that this discussion of information becomes valuable. I see this discussion of information as a supplement to many of the other approaches for apologetics that have been used throughout church history. I see where you're going with this. There are at least three apologetic arguments that are termed classical apologetics. The cosmological argument is one of those. And you said the cosmological argument is possibly the best known and easiest to understand. But there is also the teleological argument. The teleological argument is an argument based on design or purpose. The teleological argument demonstrates the existence of God by beginning with the observation of purpose in nature. The teleological argument 
reasons that design cannot exist without a designer. And classic apologetics also includes what is called the ontological argument. But I'm not even going to attempt to explain that. Yeah, I don't blame you. The ontological argument is probably the most esoteric of the classical apologetic arguments. Ontology is essentially the study of being. If something exists, it is sometimes said to have ontological status. Well, I kind of think the easiest way to think about ontology is to distinguish between the real and the imaginary. So the ontological argument is based on the idea that anything that is real is better than something that is imaginary. I think there are some people in the movie business that might disagree with you. True, but even movie makers make real movies. An imaginary movie might be a great thing, but it's not going to sell any tickets. And that's the essential idea behind the ontological argument. We can conceive of a perfect being. Now, our individual ideas about a perfect being might vary a bit, but we can all conceive of a perfect being. But if that perfect being were only imaginary, it wouldn't be nearly as good as a real perfect being. Now, there have been a lot of different formulations of the ontological argument down through the years, and they can get pretty esoteric. Apologetics leads us through the questions and ultimately supplies the answers to those questions that cannot come from anywhere else. Now we can live our whole lives and never ask the questions. Or we can live our lives and simply suppress our desire for the answers. But ultimately, neither one of those approaches satisfies us. God built human beings with an innate curiosity because that curiosity will always lead us back to our need for Him. I agree. And that's what our examination of information does. It leads us back to God. As we talked about in our first two episodes in this series, information is a non-material component of the created order. Information is not generated by, dependent upon, or impacted by matter, energy, time, or space. Well, because information is non-material and it is unaffected by matter or energy, then it is logically impossible to attribute the presence of information to matter or energy. But that's all the atheists or anyone who denies the existence of God has to work with. For them, they're surrounded only by physical phenomena. So they have to find some way to attribute everything that they come across in their experience to an origin in matter or energy. Now, in a previous episode, we saw that there are actually laws of information that act exactly like other natural laws with which we're more familiar, like the law of gravity or the laws of thermodynamics. But these other natural laws, they can be framed in terms of matter and energy. The laws that pertain to information cannot. So, the atheist is now stuck with a conundrum. How can material phenomena produce a non-material phenomenon that can describe the material but remain unaffected by the material? For Christians, and even other theists, the conundrum doesn't exist. God produced the cosmos, ex nihilo, from nothing other than his own ineffable power. Yes, the nature of the physical universe itself 
points us to a power that must lie beyond the universe. Information is another one of the many attributes of the universe that supports the basic line of reasoning that God must exist. So information forms another and very powerful argument for the existence of God. Which is what all apologetic approaches do. That does not mean that all apologetic approaches are equal or equally suited for use in evangelistic settings. And we haven't touched on all the apologetic arguments that are out there. We've only touched on a few. Yep. Besides the cosmological, theological, and ontological arguments, which are all considered classical apologetics, there are people who favor a moral argument for the existence of God. Others prefer a historical approach to demonstrating God's necessary existence. The moral argument was used by C.S. Lewis in his classic work, Mere Christianity. It essentially says that we all feel the presence of certain obligations that should govern our behavior, moral laws, if you will. But the existence of a law requires a lawgiver. Historical apologetics points to events in world history, such as the resurrection, as evidence that the God of the Bible is actively involved in our world and its affairs. For instance, Regarding evidence for the historicity of the resurrection, British historian A.N. Sherwin-White has written that, quote, For Acts, the confirmation of historicity is overwhelming. Any attempt to reject its basic historicity, even in matters of detail, must now appear absurd. Roman historians have long taken it for granted, unquote. Many other historians have come to similar conclusions about parts of the Bible as diverse as Isaiah, Daniel, Kings and Chronicles. Yes, and there are still other forms of apologetics, such as presuppositional apologetics and transcendental apologetics, and we don't even begin to have time, or the need, frankly, to cover those. But all apologetic arguments share something in common. They all start with an observation about the universe or world history that cannot be reasonably denied. And then they proceed to look for an explanation of the attribute or the phenomenon that they have observed. And inevitably, they find that a satisfactory explanation for what they have observed cannot be contained within the four corners of the visible universe. So, as we said, we can simply throw up our hands at that point and proclaim that there is no possible explanation available or we can follow the considerable affirmative evidence, such as the reliability of Scripture, that points to the existence of God. Apologetics is a little like the classic murder mystery where the murder was seemingly committed in a locked room where there was no immediate evidence of any way for the murderer could have entered or left. Then the clever detective arrives and finds that there's a previously unknown hidden panel and they discovered by careful analysis of the room's dimensions. Or there's a bit of wax on the floor that shows where the window latch dropped back in place after the murderer left through the window. Or a scratch on the floor shows that the key on the inside was really on the outside when the door was locked. The detective always finds the clue, overlooked by everyone else, to divine the truth. Yep. Except that in this case, the evidence isn't hard to find. It's not hard to discern. It's out there in plain sight for everyone to see. It has to be. If God had hidden the evidence of himself, people might have had a legitimate excuse for their unbelief. But they don't. 
Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 20 say, quote, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. In Psalm 19, verse 1 and 2 say, quote, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge, unquote. So as in your detective example, the universe contains clues, and more than clues, really, that point to the fact that there is a God who made everything, sustains everything, and governs everything. Information is one more phenomenon within the created order that points out that the universe cannot be simply explained by its material elements, matter, energy, time, and space. The universe exhibits design in its smallest elements, such as the atom, and it exhibits design in its largest structures, such as galaxies. Design needs a designer. The universe needed a power source to get it going because it is steadily running out of power. The laws of thermodynamics tell us that. Life would not exist at all if DNA did not contain an embedded program that tells the various base pairs, genes, and motors within DNA how to both operate and replicate. The program embedded within DNA is another form of information. In fact, DNA is the most sophisticated data storage and information structure that we know about within the universe. But how did that information get into the DNA? The cell's protein machines can't explain the information because without DNA, the cells would not know how to make the machines. But without the machines to build the DNA, the DNA couldn't hold, store, or transmit the information. The answer, of course, is that God created everything. He installed the programs, and He continues to sustain everything that He created. Now, we can accept or reject that conclusion, but we cannot avoid the facts that point to it. This sounds like a great time to pray. Today, let's listen to a prayer that our nation would experience a renewed hunger for the one who formed the universe and who put his presence into both its largest and smallest structures. Prayer for Restoration of the Worship of the One True God Lord of Destiny, God of Holiness, You ordained the fate of men and nations before the cornerstone of creation was laid. You are blameless in all your acts and commands, and therefore what you ordain must come to pass. Who among men can resist your will? What you sovereignly declare will happen. We rejoice that our hope rests in the power and mercy of an almighty God and not in lesser beings. Lord, you know far better than we the blight that has come upon this nation. 
we have turned from honoring your name and seeking your will to self-exaltation and celebrating our rebellion. We cannot imagine how this must grieve you and give you justifiable cause for rebuke and reproof. We pray that you would raise up in our midst godly men and women who will be the leaders and teachers in a national renewal. We know that you have preserved a faithful remnant for yourself because you have assured us that the gates of hell could not prevail against your church. We praise you that Christ Jesus himself makes intercession for us while he sits at your right hand. We praise him and offer this and all prayers in his holy name. Amen. Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where We're not perfect, but our boss is. And for those of you who need that website one more time, that's crystalseabooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L, C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S dot com. Thank you for your support.